Welcome back to Heddle's Blowout. My name's David Shock. I'm Reed Nelson. Today, we got a bonus talking about jeans in Vietnam, specifically on the legs of Navy SEALs. I don't know if you've ever worn heavyweight raw denim while going through a very hot and humid environment, Reed, but it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's not my uh, preferred jungle wear. Yeah, unless you were one of our very dedicated Fade Friday submitters from Southeast Asia, um, I don't see why people do it. But there were a group of dedicated people wearing them in the 1970s and the 1960s in the Vietnam War. The Navy SEALs, which was a uh, relatively newly christened group of special forces that uh, got to pick out a lot of their own equipment. And a lot of the people that were in the Navy SEALs chose to wear Levi's 501 jeans while they were stalking through the jungles of Vietnam. This is a story that came to us from a writer, Chris Danforth, who had done a lot of independent research and talked to a lot of these SEALs that wore the jeans in Vietnam uh, to break this you know, historical anecdote that I think not a lot of people have heard before. And uh, he had a lot of extra... Uh, material that didn't make it into the article that ran on the site last week. So we're going to dig into it with him and hear all about the life and times of SEALs wearing jeans in Vietnam. Hope you enjoy it. Chris, so uh, thanks so much for coming on. Excited to talk about uh, Navy SEALs wearing blue jeans and all of the interesting things that that entails. But first, just wanted to uh, get a little bit of background on you and how you came upon this story. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, inviting me on the podcast. Um, yeah, I guess I was uh, reading about brands um, that have been military suppliers um, historically. So Alpha Industries, um, also like Solomon, New Balance brands that have supplied footwear to the U.S. military. And I think it was kind of random that I came across a photo of some seals wearing jeans. Uh, so I decided to kind of dig more into it. Um, but yeah, I studied uh, history in university and I took a number of, of classes that covered military history. So it's always been like a topic of interest for me. Um, films, literature. Uh, always liked watching movies, reading books that pertain to military history. So, yeah, it was fun to research. Uh, was this something that you were just, um, as a personal hobby, looking up uh, American military footwear suppliers? Um, or was it for some other project that just happened to coincide? Yeah, I mean, um, I worked at High Snobiety for five years, so I was covering uh, their footwear channel. Um, so, with regards to Solomon and New Balance, I was thinking about a piece on. Um, you know, how these brands have supplied products to the U.S. military. So I think this the SEALs wearing blue jeans thing just kind of came up like, you know, adjacent to that topic. Um, but it was it was a little random. Um, yeah, you mentioned seeing that photo and uh, they're in the article and we'll have them linked in when this gets posted. But just seeing that image is really striking to me in a way that's like sort of eerie and unpleasant and i think gave a lot of insight for me at least as to what uh, seal operations are you imagine them as being uh you know the tip of the spear the the head of like state-of-the-art military technology and gear and all this stuff and it's 
just like, oh, these are some guys wearing jeans that just look like, you know, the Idaho militia, but they're out there uh, running operations and like, assassinating people in Vietnam. Uh, what was your initial reaction to seeing this stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely cowboys. Um, I, I guess I didn't know, you know, I wasn't so familiar with like the background of Navy SEALs or for the, with the Vietnam War, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing that became apparent was how different SEALs today are from their predecessors in, in the 70s. Um, yeah, I also want to mention like, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who are far more knowledgeable about this topic than I am. And I definitely want to acknowledge like the SEALs that actually lived and died through this topic that I wrote about. That, that was one thing that became apparent to me is, you know, how much respect that they have for each other. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, hopefully I don't say anything that's egregiously inaccurate. Yeah, but I, I tried to um, speak with people who, of course, um, you know, were authorities on this topic. So a few people that really helped with, with the research, as well as, you know, getting quotes from Levi's, I think really brought this story uh, together in a nice way. Yeah. Um, could you just give a little bit of a retelling of the, the article, I guess, for people that might not have read it already? For sure. Um, well, yeah, at the time, I guess, uh, SEALs were established prior to the Vietnam War. So by 1970, they actually hadn't been around that long. So it was still sort of a, like a younger organization. And they were founded as a, a unit of the Navy. Um, so Initially, I don't think they were actually like a combat unit. They were making a lot of like maps and charts um, of like the coastal waters off of Vietnam. So making sure that boats had access to like beaches, clearing explosives, that kind of thing. Initially, it wasn't like completely about denim. Um, I was really interested by the like just the uniform. And, um, you know, there's some anecdotes about Navy SEALs wearing like Rolex uh, Submariner watches. Um, they had this special footwear called uh, Coral Boots. So I guess when they were on these beaches, when they were clearing explosives from areas where boats were going to land, they would need this like super hefty rubberized footwear so they could actually stand on coral reefs and they wouldn't, you know, slice up their feet. And then it came to, you know, the, the denim, like realizing that a lot of these guys uh, chose to wear denim, which was obviously a surprise to me. Um, but then when you, when you get more into it, there is a very like practical, pragmatic reason. And yeah, I mean, these guys were definitely like badasses. They were definitely cowboys. Like they were out on these super, super dangerous missions. And a lot of the time, you know, they were, they were operating at night. So um, camouflage pants weren't a necessity. So they had a bit more freedom because it was pitch black anyway. They didn't need to be like camo head to toe. So they, they were wearing these, uh, this denim because it was, uh, it, it was tougher. You know, it was, um, it would withstand like the rigors of the jungle a bit better. And yeah, I, I guess just like from the books I read, like these guys had a look, you know, the Rolex watch, the denim. Um, and they, they also didn't sort of, they didn't wear any insignias or pins or badges to denote the, like their rank. So if you saw one of these guys, he's, you know, had the, had the jeans on, um, often like a beard or was wearing a bandana. It's like, yeah, that guy's a seal, you know? So some of the stuff that I, um, that did come up during my research, I didn't actually publish. So, for example, Levi's also sent me a, a copy of a letter from World War II. Um, it was like the mother of Marine who was stationed in Saipan. And he, she wrote a letter to Levi's asking where she could find jeans to send to her son. Um, in the letter, she said she like looked all around San Francisco, couldn't find any jeans. Apparently, her son had a pair and cherished them you know, so much that he like slept in them so other Marines wouldn't steal them. 
Um, so she was trying to send him some more, some more denim. So yeah, there's like some cool little, little bits and pieces that I didn't publish, but, um, you mentioned, uh, that the, the jobs that the seals were doing were incredibly unique and didn't, uh, hold up to, or uh, they demanded more than what, uh, the standard issue uniform was capable of. And, uh, was it always a seal thing to be able to choose your own equipment is, um, yeah, I have some friends that were in the military. And they're very, very, very specific about what you're allowed to use and not use uh, when you're in the military, like all the way up to like you can get court-martialed for wearing the wrong hat, things that I've heard. Uh, if it's not something that's made by a military supplier, or gone through all these rigorous tests to be what's supposed to be the best thing for you. Whereas like the SEALs, it seems, are more out there in, I mentioned earlier, Idaho militia, but they are like a guerrilla paramilitary group that isn't operating on the same level of any of the standard uh, military. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that differentiate SEALs between other units. Like, obviously, there's this acknowledgement that they're much more elite. They just go through more training. Like, um, I'm sure you guys have heard of this training called BUDS. It's like the, the training they all go through in the beginning. So it's like right from the beginning, they're set apart from, from other like Marine Corps or Army units. Um, and it's really like a brotherhood, you know, like they they end up um, going through this training. It's got like a 50% attrition rate. So like half the guys drop out. So I think even once you finish the initial training, it's like there's an understanding that you're part of a really special group. And yeah, there's there's a lot of factors that would make a SEAL different from a regular Marine. Like the denim, of course, was one. I don't think SEALs today are wearing, wearing denim. Um, like the SEAL uh, organization has definitely... You know the, the the screws have been tightened. I guess you could say like they had a bit more more freedom. Even like seals in Vietnam, from some of the books I were reading, I was reading like they would get hammered. They would be drinking beers after uh, after operations, um, and like that would never stand today. So it, there's a few things that are that are quite different, of course. It seems like nobody really cared as long as the job got done. That they were sort of given totally free reign over what they were doing. I think so. Yeah, and I guess like. On a more technical level, there was sort of a, a concept of decentralized command. So this was kind of like an idea that would entrust SEALs to make decisions for themselves. Like they wouldn't really need someone like an admiral to sign off on decisions. They could kind of decide for themselves. Um, so SEALs might be acting on orders of intent, like here's what you're generally supposed to accomplish. But the SEALs could decide on the on the smaller details of how they would accomplish it. So if that came down to like their, their uniforms, um, what kind of weapons they were bringing, um, you know, even like a, a SEAL platoon was 12 guys, um, which is much smaller than a Marine Corps platoon, which would be around 40 guys. But their, their units were very bespoke. So if they're going on an operation, it, they, they could choose like, you know, we need these five guys or these eight guys. Um, so they just had more autonomy, I think, in general, like um, across the board. And you spoke to quite a few of these SEALs that were actually in the uh, in Vietnam and uh, were in these units, correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, at some point, I did, uh, you know, I had a, a good amount of research um, for this piece, but I didn't have any, like, primary source. Of it. I, I didn't, I hadn't spoken to any SEALs. So at one point, I was like, I, I just gave up, actually. I was like, there's no way I'm going to find SEALs that are going to want to talk to me about, about genes, right? Like, hmm. they went through so many, like, they've been through so many perilous situations that like if they're thinking back on this they probably don't want to talk to me about genes you know 
Um, but there are a bunch of collectors out there. And yeah, this, this one forum, US Militaria, and one, one user on the forum that I, I spoke to, um, he's a collector of gear from this era. And he helped me uh, connect with some SEALs that, yeah, they, they remained anonymous, um, which I guess is like another Navy SEAL tenant. Like these guys are, you know, quiet, quiet professionals, quote unquote, is sort of like their mantra. But yeah, it was obviously great to you know include these primary sources from actual seals. I, I think that definitely gave the the article sort of another level up. And uh, were they uh, initially hesitant to talk to you, or uh, were they enthusiastic about you know, discussing the gear that they had used in uh, in Vietnam? Um, yeah, I think you know through a proxy, like through this guy that, that they trusted, they would you know they they sent him quotes, and then he sent me the quotes. Um, so I think maybe like, I would imagine they were a bit surprised to be asked about denim. Like there's a list of other things that I could have, I could have asked them about, you know, like that weren't to do with the jeans they were wearing. Um, but yeah, like they're, it, it's a brotherhood. And I think like for, for one of them to speak out, it wouldn't be considered like betraying the other seals, kind of like a code of chivalry, like medieval knights or something, you know? Um, hmm. and that code still exists today. Like there's, there's part of the seal ethos that says, uh, I do not advertise the nature of my work nor seek recognition for my actions. So I think a lot of these guys are reticent to talk about any factor of of what they were doing um, in Vietnam. And it's interesting because it's quite a bit different today. Like there's there's books being published and Hollywood movies being made, and like guys guys that speak out today, like they're definitely criticized by by their SEAL colleagues. Um, but yeah, luckily a few of these guys did speak with me. Yeah, it, it seems like a very different mentality from what it is now, where it's almost like a branding opportunity of, of being a SEAL. That you've seen, like, uh, some of them have launched their own clothing brands or, like, uh, protein powders or things like that, which seems very uh, anti the uh, ethics of what's happened or with the ones that you talked to from 50 years ago. Yeah, and I think you could argue that it's even more important today for these guys to be secretive because you know, Navy SEALs and other elite units like Delta Force, they're on counterterrorism missions. It's like a lot of what they do, um, you know, combating like ISIS or Al Qaeda. So if they speak out and one of these organizations finds out the names of, of these SEALs, like their families could be in jeopardy. Um, but still, there's all these movies like Zero Dark Thirty, which is one of my favorite movies, or like uh, Captain Phillips, American Sniper. Um, um, yeah, like these these guys are speaking out, and a number of them have really big platforms today. Uh, like they have big audiences on Twitter, on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are actually like weirdly sort of conservative spokespeople. Like the guy that killed Bin Laden, uh, Robert O'Neill, um, his Twitter is like pretty right, pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. I um, remember a thing of him like protesting wearing a mask on a plane a few months ago. Yeah, and he said he was like kidding about it after the fact or something. Um, yeah, yeah, but a lot of them too are are speaking out in response to the uh, defund the police movement too. You know, they're coming out and saying like, "Oh, chokeholds are are safe if you know what you're doing." Um, it's, so it, it's a bit weird in that sense. But yeah, Jocko Willink is like another one. I love that guy. He's done some videos for GQ, and he also has a brand, uh, a denim brand that's called Origin USA, I think, and. Um, he makes denim. He makes denim that's like inspired by the Navy SEALs in Vietnam that wore denim. And he's even got a model of, of denim called uh, Delta 68. 
which is named after the, the Mekong Delta um, in Vietnam, which is where a ton of combat took place. Um, so yeah, it kind of came full circle in that way. From how you you describe it, it seems like they're sort of the original gearheads in terms of like trying to optimize everything that they could for what they took on a mission. And um, you mentioned the Rolexes and the coral boots and the bandanas. Is this things that they would develop for their own, for themselves as individuals or something that they would, you know, communicate with each other with certain platoons have a loadout uh, that they all bought together. Um, just wondering how uh, individualistic each individual seals uh, equipment became. Yeah. I guess part of it ties to the fact that like this, you know, Vietnam was one of the first examples of guerrilla warfare. So they had to rethink like, everything in a way um and seals were what they were doing was was responding to that so they had specialized equipment and gear um and yeah they would it would be passed through the grapevine from seal to seal like what was working what didn't work what didn't work from weapons to uniforms um and yeah they would like modify their gear from their clothing to their guns uh so you know seals would get finished with an operation their gun would be clogged up with dirt and mud. They would take it apart, clean it. They would modify it. They would like make adjustments to the trigger or make adjustments to the sights um, so that it, it would work better for them. Uh, they would like take the tracer rounds out of magazines so that you know tracers weren't uh, giving away their position like in these night operations, so that they could be like super stealthy. And um, yeah, jeans was it was one of these things. Like I guess one guy in the article that I spoke to, you know, he says he preferred the the standard dungarees they were given so they had, it's not like you know levi's were mandatory like everyone had to wear jeans but uh some guys liked them some guys didn't it was just passed like passed on by word of mouth like hey you know if you're in such and such a situation you should try wearing some jeans and like you know they might work better for you uh, where would they go to buy this stuff? Is I were they writing back to their moms like that Marine you mentioned, or is I imagine you couldn't go to the J.C. Penney in Saigon and like buy a pair of five hundred ones? Yeah, I think they had to bring them over. Um, I mean, the historian from from Levi's Tracy, she mentioned that there were these like stores, I guess, where you could buy, oh, like on a base PX or something. Exactly. Yeah, but um, I imagine that was more more the case for like bigger like centralized um like command outposts you know like bigger bases with like an airfield mm -hmm. and like a cafeteria and that kind of thing but often like seals were in much more remote locations and yeah like there's one one story or one part of um men in green faces by gene wentz where he's talking about one of his one of his colleagues another seal that gets injured and uh there's like a medic a corpsman and he cuts the jeans off of him to you know give him treatment um and the guy is like super pissed off that he cut his jeans you know like he can't use them anymore so now <laughs> he doesn't have jeans to use like he's got to find a way to get another pair whether that's like uh you know yeah again writing a letter to your mom can you send me some jeans um but definitely levi's had no direct involvement with supplying jeans Terry. Um, so yeah they were like they, they treasured these levi's you mentioned them making modifications to the jeans as well, or all the other parts of their kit that they would, uh, you know, sew pockets, like extra pockets on their jeans. Or uh, are there any other things that you, uh, people that you talked to that made differences? Or were they just wearing like stock 501s? I'm sure there was like some modifications or 
customizations that were you know different based on on different needs um i know also like some guys would wear uh jean jackets and like cut off the arms so they would kind of make like a jean vest i guess maybe for mobility um oh. and, and yeah the the patches i know the guy that i spoke to on u.s militaria this guy mike who i mentioned in the article like he has an archive of photos that he's i think they like trade photos with one another it's kind of like baseball cards Mm. Um, so he, he had like a big stash of, of actual photos of uh, Vietnam era gear, but he he didn't want to share any of them with me because he was like, yeah, these were given to me by actual seals. Like, I don't want to betray their trust. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure really what the advantage to sewing camouflage patches on denim would be. I think like I'm sort of guessing here, venturing a guess that maybe it was just like burning time, spare time on the base and they would just like sort of customize their jeans because they didn't have anything better to do than drink beer and you know, yeah, arts to, and crafts seal hour. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, maybe it was just like sort of a way to, to put their own mark to customize and make those jeans their own in a way. Yeah. Um, and they're most of their operations. I think you mentioned this in the article were at night. So the, the need for camouflage was uh, less so. And they could wear, you know, anything that was dark. It didn't really matter. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, you know, they could sort of pick uh they could like customize the the group that was going on xyz mission so yeah it could be like five guys eight guys whatever so i I think that in turn made them much more agile much more maneuverable um they could be like deployed at short notice at night um in numbers that were much more covert uh you know so they would like insert via a riverboat or a helicopter um and yeah that's like part of their reputation for just being super effective elite silent killers like operating at night so yeah they didn't need the camouflage because it's pitch black anyways um and that's like a very challenging environment you know like this jungle environment at night um like if if they stayed dry for the duration of of an, uh, an operation i think that was pretty lucky you know they were often like soaking wet and cold and uh but yeah seals like obviously sea air land um they're comfortable in the water so you know, being wet and cold, yeah. that was no factor, as Jocko Willink likes to say. Yeah. That swimming in jeans just seems, you know, it, as anyone that's been into raw denim, I guess, for more than about 10 years when, like, ocean washes were still something that was talked about with some seriousness, uh, just the idea of, you know, swimming in jeans and operating in a wet pair of jeans um, and then hiking for God knows how long to uh, do whatever their mission was. Um, yeah, th- th- I think that's a testament in and of itself. And it, you also mentioned that they wore pantyhose underneath the jeans uh, when they were doing some of these missions as well, or that was specific to some people. Yeah. I imagine the chafing. Ugh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I think there's like just a plethora of factors that were making them so uncomfortable, you know, leeches, bugs, chafing, being wet and cold. So I think that that didn't really deter them like they were used to it. But yeah, I've heard that leeches couldn't really latch on to like the nylon fabric um, as well. And I oh, guess that, right. was, that was like a serious concern. Like, yeah, leeches, even the, the very beginning again of uh, Men in Green Face by, G- by Gene Wentz, um, it starts with like a guy on base discovering that he has uh, a leech that crawled up his urethra. Um, and it's like engorged and, and yeah, it's uh, not, uh, a, not, not, a not something you want to see. Nope. <laughs> Uh, that reminds me of the the 
eternal debate between zippers versus buttonfly uh, was also a thing that I guess uh, different seal camps had an opinion on. Yeah, it's funny that like both sides were so set on like this one is the best, you know, like um, again one of the one of the Vietnam seals saying like if you had a, a zipper fly you were screwed, and then on the other side of it like I guess these people had their preferences, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know which I would prefer. I can see a case for for both, um, but initially it was presented to me like, yeah, button flies the one because zippers are too loud and they'll give away your position. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, for talking with us. The article is live on Heddles now. We'll link it in the description. Where can people find you online if they want to read more of your stuff? I guess Instagram is probably the best place. Um, C underscore Danforth, D A N F O R T H. I share most of what I'm working on, whether it's, you know, editorial stuff or uh, photography. So, yeah, that's probably the best place. Um, I'm planning on doing more sort of research-based pieces like these in the future, exploring uh, footwear dress codes in prison. I think it's kind of the next one that I'm working on. And, yeah, similar pieces that sort of have a crossover between fashion and history and, and culture. Another pillar of the United States. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, look forward to seeing more articles like this from you and uh, yeah, talk again soon. Thank you guys so much.